0: Good evening. Good evening. So glad you made the choice to come and join us at this Good Friday service. I'm going to speak a little bit here on, I'm titling this The Naked God, for reasons that will become clear, hopefully here in a few minutes. It's been said that everyone has something to hide. Everyone has something to hide. And I, I think there's some truth to that saying. Aspects of our personality Parts of our life, things that we have done or are doing, things that would, if they got out in the public, would embarrass us. I think we tend to live our lives kind of like people who are putting a house on the market, where you want to make it look really good, to up its market value. So you want it to really look good, and and you cover up or at least minimize the the blemishes in the house because those would drive the market value down. We're sort of like that. We feel like our social market value goes up when we do things that impress people or we just are impressive. But that social value market goes down when we disappoint or when there are things that people would disapprove of. We like to present our best side and we like to hide our worst side. And when that worst side is outed, is made public, well, we feel our market value going down. And the feeling of our market value going down, tanking out, dropping out, that, that feeling is what we call shame. As that skit so aptly uh, illustrated, it, it's, a, it, it's a sense of, of inadequacy, a sense of Not enough. I'm not enough of something. A sense that there's something defective about me. I don't measure up. Now, this feeling of shame is usually associated with particular things that we're ashamed of. But it actually goes deeper than that. There is, if a person hasn't been yet set free from Christ, set free from shame by Christ... Um, they, there is in the core of there being a sense of defectiveness, a sense of, of having not enough, of, of, of coming up short. Uh, and so it's true of every human being that there's a part of us, we're, we're embarrassed by that. We feel off by that. We're ashamed of that, and we want to hide. That sense of shame, of not being enough, it's that it's feeling of I, I, I want to disappear. There are eyes on me that know stuff about me I wish they didn't know, and it makes me want to disappear And we can have that even if there's nothing in particular that we're ashamed of. It's this pervasive, inner sense of not enough. Now, the Bible explains why we have this. I I have this last year taught a lot out of Genesis 3, so I'm not going to take the time to to read that narrative again. But I'll tell you about it. So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and, and they're content. They're content just being human beings. Uh, and, and letting God be God, and, and having fellowship with God. The way the story describes it is that they would walk with God in the cool of the day. And they were content. Uh, they, like every human being in history, Adam and Eve had a, uh, that an, an inner need uh, for God, an inner, uh, a longing to have more than enough life, more than enough worth, more than enough significance, more than enough security. And they had all that. They had all that because God's love was more than enough. And God is the only one that can fill that more-than-enough need that every person has in the core of the being. Enter the serpent. And your serpent comes to Eve and says, Eve, you're not enough. You could do better. Uh, you're selling yourself short, and God's selling yourself short. Because you see that tree over there that God forbid, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree is good to make you wise, And it can make you as wise as God, implying that God got to be wise by eating from that tree. So Eve, don't settle with walking with God in the cool of the day. Don't be content with that. That's not more than enough. No, that's not even enough. If you want the full more than enough, it's found there on that tree. And so the serpent lies about God. Paints an untrustworthy picture of God, and the serpent lies about Eve. Eve, you're defective. You're inadequate. You're not enough. Unfortunately, Eve believes that lie about God, Believes that untrustworthy picture of God, so she stops trusting God to be her source of more than enough life, more than enough worth and significance. And so she starts to feel empty and defective and not enough, and she thinks the answer is found in that tree. And so she eats from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and gives to her husband to eat. And it's called the knowledge of good and evil because it's, it's, it's our addiction to thinking that we are smart enough to be able to discern ultimate good and evil. We're the judges. And so as soon as they eat from that tree, they become judges. They become accusers. And the first thing they judge is themselves. We are defective. There's something wrong about us. This nakedness. And the story symbolizes the, the shame that we have on the inside through nakedness because in ancient Jewish culture, being seen naked by anyone other than your spouse was the most shameful thing that could happen to you. And so they, they are exposed and, and they, they're, they're embarrassed, so they have to hide. And they hide by finding some very creative uses for fig leaves. Uh, they hide from each other. The first thing they judge is themselves, so they hide from each other. And then they judge God to be an austere, vindictive, judgmental deity, so they hide from God. And then when God starts to ask them questions, uh, they hide behind blame-deflecting excuses. That, Adam says, the woman that you gave me, she's the one who got me to do this. And the, the, the woman says, no, the serpent that you created uh, got me to do this. They're hiding because they feel inadequate. They feel not enough. And see, unless a person's been freed from shame through Christ, this is the condition of every human being in, in, in history. Uh, We have believed false pictures of God. And people who don't believe in God, that's the ultimate false picture of God. And since we believe false pictures of God, we believe the serpent's lie, um, we, we, we don't trust God. We are unable to trust God to be the source of our longing for more than enough life and more than enough worth and significance. So we run on empty. And as a result, we feel like we're not enough. And as a result, we hide. It's a human race. And as I said before, usually... Usually our our shame is attached to particular things, depending on where you're born and how you're raised and what your experiences have been. But you you come to the conclusion that you're not funny enough or you're not skinny enough or you're not pretty enough or you're not religious enough, you're not holy enough, you're not talented enough, not athletic enough, you're not successful enough. Whatever whatever counts as as, as measuring your, your, your social market value, you're not enough of that. And so our, we, we, we sense our, our, our market social value going down, and so we hide. Some people hide, as we saw illustrated uh, in the skit. Some people hide behind their performance. They try to be enough, and they find out ways of you know, trying to look better and act better and whatever. Others, they despair of ever meeting the bar of enough, and so they just change the game. If I can't be good at being thin, well, maybe I can be good at being funny. If I can't be good at being smart, well, then maybe I can be good at being athletic. You just trade up the game. Trying to find some way to keep your social market value high. Trying to find some ways of hiding the things that would lower your social market value. I've shared before here that when I was in first grade, I came to the conclusion that I'm just not wired in a way that I can ever behave well enough to uh, have my market value go up with adults. I just am not going to have that. So if I can't be good enough at being good to impress the adults, I'll be good enough at being bad to impress my peers. And so I become the class clown. That was the way I, I, I up my social market value, the class clown who's always getting in trouble. But it was all ruse. It, it was all hiding. It was, this was my fig leaf. This was my fig leaf. This was me hiding my shame. So I want to ask a question, when did you first learn that you weren't enough? When, can you remember the first time you felt shame? The first time you felt your social market value tank? The first time you had to creatively use a fig leaf and find a way to hide? Or maybe more importantly, is there something right now that you feel the need to hide? Something that you feel shame about, that makes you feel not enough, that makes you feel deficient? And this brings us to the cross. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says this Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. That, the, the Greek word uh, that is used for despise, katapherneo, it literally means to count as insignificant. Uh, I think a better translation would be he disregarded the shame of the cross because it, when, when this word is applied to people, it means to despise, to consider a person utterly insignificant. But when it has to do with something like shame, it's to it's like, nah, it's no big deal. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He considered it no big, big deal. And the reason he considered it no big deal was for the joy that was set before him. As he faced the terrible, nightmarish, God-forsaken ordeal of the shameful cross, there was a joy at the other end of it. And the joy was seeing you and me and innumerable other people set free. From sin and shame. And for that reason, he considered the shame of the cross insignificant. Now, to appreciate just how huge this is, you have to know something about the crucifixion. Um, crucifixion was the, the Romans' favorite or most common form of execution because it was ideal, it was the, I, the ultimate deterrent to, for, for, for rebellion. Um, if, if any folks would rebel against Rome, they would just send in their troops and round up the rebels and maybe some other innocent bystanders and crucify them on a local hill and leave them there. And it was their way of saying to everybody else, if you mess with us, this is what happens. And what made crucifixion such an uh, excellent deterrent is that it, with almost a demonic brilliance, it combined inflicting maximal pain on people With maximal humiliation. It was designed to do that. To deter anyone from ever thinking they should ever rebel against Rome. Uh, So as happened with Jesus. uh, The Romans would would, would customarily take the condemned criminal. And they, before crucifying him, would absolutely humiliate him. Abuse him. uh, Mock him. And they tried to get the crowds to join in. Just as they did with Jesus. Just humiliate the daylights out of the person mocking in different ways, taunting them. But the most shameful aspect of crucifixion for ancient Jews was the fact that before they did all this, they stripped the condemned criminal completely naked. And the condemned criminal would have to often carry the cross beam of the cross up to the place of crucifixion, marching through town, naked. And people would humiliate them and taunt them and sometimes make crude jokes about their genitalia, as they're going up to the cross. And for for a Jew to be nailed on a cross, naked, in front of crowds of strangers, was the most humiliating thing imaginable. And it would last until the crucified criminal died, which we know from some ancient sources, could take up to three days. We have from ancient records, it's reported that, Folks would just be, passerbys would see these condemned criminals naked on the cross and they would sometimes mock them and laugh at them and make crude jokes about their genitals. And it was ultimate humiliation and ultimate pain condemned together. Jesus knew all this. He, he knew this would happen to him when he signed up for this deal. But for the joy set before him, he looked at that. Most humiliating thing that he could possibly go through, and he considered it insignificant. Insignificant. And the joy that was set before him was the joy of seeing multitudes of people set free from their bondage, set free from their sin, set free from their shame, set free from the need to hide. So how does the cross, how does Jesus' death, his bearing our shame, how does that set us free from shame? Shame. And the answer ultimately is that it's, it, sets, it sets us free from shame because by being the ultimate definitive revelation of God. The cross reveals what God is like. And in doing that, it reveals that we are more than enough as we are. And in doing that, it frees us from the need to ever hide. So Jesus said in John 14, he goes, I am the way and the truth and the life. That word truth in Greek, it's an interesting word. It's aletheia. And it literally means to uncover something. To reveal something, to uncover something, to be out of hiding. So if Jesus is the uncovering of the true God, what was it that was covering God up? And the answer to that is the serpent's lies and all the false things we've ever believed about God. Uh, Throughout history, we have covered up the true God by dressing God up uh, in our own image, by dressing God up as a violent deity, a warrior deity, a capricious deity. A deity made in our image. A deity who's jealous. A deity who can be genocidal. A, 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 a deity who's, or a God who is, who is, who is uh, uh, self-centered and, and offers own good and can use people to any other kind of ends. We've, we've dressed God up as an ugly God. We've covered up the true God with all of our lies. And what we find on Calvary is Jesus is here unveiling all those false garments that we put on to God. All those lies that we projected onto God. In fact, I, I've never quite seen this before, and I don't know what to make of it, really, but I'm sure it's not coincidental. But it occurs to me that as Jesus is being stripped naked, his willingness to be stripped naked and, you, and, and suffer humiliation to bear our shame, as he's doing that, he is in the same, at the same time unveiling the true God. He's stripping all those garments off of God as he is becoming naked to bear our shame, he's revealing the naked God. God who's got nothing to hide. On the cross we see a God who's saying, this is me, this is all of me, there's nothing hidden here. Jesus reveals on the cross that God is a God of self-sacrificial, other-oriented love, all the way down to the core of his beings. No footnotes, no add-ons, no exceptions, no hidden dark places. This is the naked God, the naked Jesus. Who bears our shame reveals the naked God who removes our shame. And see, when we see that, when we see the true God, by the power of the Spirit, we're once again able to finally trust that God to be the source of our yearning for more than enough life, more more than enough significance, more than enough worth and security. Which means if we're getting more than enough life and more than enough of everything we need from God, it frees us from needing to try to up our social market value by impressing people. And it frees us from the fear of losing our market value because something that could diminish it is revealed about us because of our blemishes. So on Calvary, the naked God installed your, established your value once and for all, and he did it unconditionally. And what the cross says is that your value, your value is absolutely unsurpassable. It's unsurpassable because Jesus was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for you, which is precisely how the cross reveals God's unsurpassable, unimprovable, unwavering, eternal, perfect, incomprehensible love. Amen. So if your your value, if your core worth, the, the worth that your creator gives you, if your core value is unsurpassable, it means you can't add to it. By, by impressing people, by upping your social market value. And if it's unconditional, it means you can't detract from it by having some imperfection of yours outed. In, in fact, if, 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 if you know who you are in Christ and are experiencing the more than enough life that he gives, the social market thing becomes absolutely irrelevant. Uh, it, it's, it's, you opt out of the whole system. It doesn't matter at all whether your social value is going high or if it's going low. In fact, on the cross... God blows apart the whole market system, the whole market economy. It's like if, if someone were to pass a law today that no one is allowed to ever again buy or sell a house, guess what? I guarantee you that people would not be nearly as concerned about their blemishes. <laughs> they wouldn't have the need to hide them. You get used to your house's blemishes. You don't even notice it anymore. It's only when you go to sell it that the, the, the real estate agent points out, well, you got to do this, fix this, blah, blah, blah. Make sure you cover up that. Take, take, take away the selling game and, and there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to gain. There's nothing to lose. If I know that I am loved with an unsurpassable love and that I have unsurpassable worth, I have more than enough worth, well then... I don't need to impress you to try to up my game, and I'm not going to be fearful uh, of, of, of my market value going lower because you learned something about me. Not that I'm going to pray to everything about me in front of you, but we all need some friends that we can do that with. You don't go airing out dirty laundry in front of everybody, but there has to be context where that just doesn't matter anymore. You are who you are, and God is who he is, and that makes everything okay. You are more than enough okay as you are, as you are. And see, here's here's the beautiful thing. If if I know that I have more than enough life and significance and security, as I am with with my faults and with my wounds, the beautiful paradox is that that's the very thing that begins to grow me out of my faults and begins to heal my wounds. I think a lot of people think that God, he, he frees us from our shame by first freeing us from our sin. But in fact, I think it's the other way around. He first frees us from our shame and that's what frees us from our sin and and empowers us to begin to grow in Christ-likeness. It's the grace we get up front that changes everything. And not only that, but when I know that I am loved and I have my worth and value more than enough as I am with my faults and with my wounds, that's the thing that empowers me to be able to now unconditionally love others as they are with all their faults and with all their wounds. Amen. It all runs on the love of God revealed on the cross. The naked, the naked Christ who bore our shame reveals the naked God who removes our shame, which means we no longer need to be ashamed of being naked. And I'm not talking about literally taking off our clothes. It's way too cold in Minnesota to do that. But I am saying, get rid of all of the things we put on to cover up, uh, to, to get real, to get honest, to get vulnerable with God, with ourselves, and with those people in our life for whom it's appropriate to be that real and that raw and that honest. You need not be ashamed. For the joy of seeing us set free from our sin and our shame, Christ disregarded the shame of the cross. He thought it insignificant. He judged it to be insignificant. And that changes absolutely everything if we will just trust in Him. Can we look to Him as the source of everything that's ultimately important in our life? Our yearning for a ultimate fullness of life. And seeing that, then can we surrender our shame? Can we take that shame, which maybe some are feeling right now, that I'm not enough, I'm inadequate, there's something defective. Other people can be perfectly loved by God, but not me. If that is you tonight, whether it's attached to particular things that you're ashamed of, or whether it's just sort of a pervasive sort of gnawing thing, Jesus wants so badly to set you free. You are the joy that drove him to the cross. He wants you to be set free. And our prayer is tonight, in understanding what the cross is all about, you can take that shame and give it to him and let him cast it as far as the east is from the west. Let him, let it be gone. Let him annihilate it. Let him destroy it. He is more than enough. He is more than enough, which means you never need to worry about being less than enough, as you are right here and right now. We serve a more than enough God. You know, I think sometimes we think, does He have the grace to forgive this after what I've done and who I am? And does He have the grace? Does He have enough grace for me? And the truth is, He's got more than enough grace. He's a more than enough God. He's got grace not only to forgive, but as Sharice is saying, his grace actually takes the things that hindered the love and somehow they become part of the story. He's a master at bringing good out of evil and beauty out of ugliness and takes all that we have been through, the good, the bad, the ugly, and weaves it together in a tapestry. It becomes part of the jewel you wear as a crown, the magnificent God who shows off his more than enough grace by overforgiving us. And he takes the stuff that we were begging for forgiveness and he actually uses it for his own glory, to your advantage, to the advantage of the kingdom. Beautiful God. He says, don't be afraid of intimacy. That word intimacy, you can think of it as into me see. On the cross, this is God saying, into me see. Look into my innermost heart. There's nothing but this all the way down, this love for you. Now can I look into you? And see what I already know. But it's good for us to say, into me see. Look into my heart. And offer that all up to him. and Watch what he's going to do. It's beautiful. So communion is the time where we renew our vows of the new covenant. And we reflect on what God was willing to do for our sake and for our salvation. And we reflect on how we're called to reciprocate that. So on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, ordinary bread that they were going to eat, and he broke it in front of them. And he said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And so you who are my disciples, whenever you come together to eat this, do it in remembrance of me. He was opening up his being to say, into me see, into me see. And let this love transform you to the core of your being. And then he took the cup that they were going to drink. And he lifted it up and gave thanks and said, this cup is the cup of the new and the everlasting covenant. It's Everlasting. This one's never going to end. He says, for this cup, the wine of this cup is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. And so when you come together, my disciples, as a family, and drink from this cup, do it in remembrance of me, remembering the blood that was shed The price of into me see. And as we drink this blood, as we drink this cup, reflecting on the shed blood for us, can we reciprocate by opening ourselves up and saying into me see. And create in me the kind of love that you've had for me. That I may love others the way that you've loved me. So we'll be sharing communion now. We have got communion tables around uh, the auditorium. I think, am I right in assuming they're all gluten-free? So you don't have to worry about that. And um, we're going to a time of worship. And so let's turn all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul onto the one that we're singing to and what we're singing about. And when you're ready, just go up and and, uh, take the elements. If you have some people here with you that you share kingdom life with, feel free to go and do that together, whether you're a family or a group of friends, and share communion together. Holy Spirit, come. You're already here. We sense you already. But Lord, let your love be poured out here in this auditorium. Drown us like a pebble on the the bottom of Niagara Falls. Let that love pour down. Help us to trust that you really are this beautiful. Fill our souls with the more than enough life and love that we yearn for. And bring us out of hiding. In Jesus' name. God, this unsurpassably beautiful God, it, it, he does everything just the opposite of the world. Because in the world, in this, the social market system of the world, everything's got to be earned. And if you've got a debt to pay off, you've got to pay it off. And then they'll say, okay, you're free of their debt. But this God gives it all up front because he paid it all. He gives it all up front. Amen. And we're transformed, not by trying hard to get it, but we're transformed because we've already got it. And it's just a matter of getting everything else in our stupid lives to line up with what's the truth of who we already are. Because he has said there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I just want to end with this prayer. Father, we as a people, uh, we know we don't deserve it. But you thought we were worth it. And why it gave you joy, to look ahead and see us being set free. So much joy that you consider the utter humiliation of the cross insignificant is beyond us. And that's why it's beautiful. Thank you, God, for revealing your whole self to us, for saying, into me see on the cross. Lord, may we be a people who are always looking to you to get our more than enough life, more than enough significance and all the inner needs of our life we may overflow with that same love and that same life towards others. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Go out and love on your neighbors.